0: What football folks is doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving <laughs> forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful not to slink Am i gonna get too We got legal on this.
1: I yeah, like football, like football season, and all the things that go with it.
0: The Chris Jones contract holdout is over. He's back in the lineup for Kansas City, and I'm left wondering if contract holdouts are kind of a thing of the past, given exactly what Chris Jones got out of this. Um, Brad Spielberger, the great Brad Spielberger, master of all things contract and all things salary cap in the NFL, is joining us today to help break down this and some other topics. How's it going, Brad? I'm doing great. How are you doing? not bad not bad um yeah we're gonna get into the the chris jones thing dive into um exactly what he got out of this whether it was worth it all that kind of stuff uh we'll talk a little bit of justin fields we've got a question of the week from the discord and a little bit of an explain the grade segment as well so not the longest show in the world but we're gonna we're gonna dive into it and see what we get to. So let's talk Chris Jones in just a moment. But first, fall is all about back to school and a back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents, for parents, to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes, and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered, in less than 10 minutes with no health exam. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Brad, it looks... To me, like Chris Jones got hosed in this deal. Um, Have we reached a point where it's just too too punitive now financially to hold out? Unless, like these guys are, half the deal is spent just getting the money back that they're getting fined for holding out in the first place.
1: Yeah. So first off, objectively, he got hosed. He he accomplished nothing with his holdout, uh, and, and realistically, might lose money at the end of the day. Uh, It's interesting. We also had a guy like a Zach Martin in Dallas that had a successful holdout. He was paid back all the money he lost in fines. You can't, the new CBA rule, you can't forgive them, but obviously the teams can just fold in that money into the new contract and then give money on top of that as well, which is what happened with Martin. But, yeah, I think, as you mentioned at the top of the show, have we seen the kind of end of holdouts? That's what, you know, the new CBA language was about, was really trying to, you know, first it was not forgiving fines, also, you can now, you know, toll a player's contract, and, and you could do that in the past, but it's even more harsh going forward. So, you know, like if the Colts wanted to play super hardball with Jonathan Taylor or, you know, other teams wanted to do that for a player holding out, they could say, okay, well, you're not even going to, you know, advance a year in your career contractually. Um, it, It's a tough, you know, landscape right now. So. Yeah, with Chris Jones, though, um, you know, lost a game check for over a million dollars, did not get that put back in the deal, uh, had fines of about $2.7 million, uh, if you include the workout bonus that he just, you know, forfeited by not being there. Um, and yes, he can make a bunch of money. If you haven't seen the incentive package in this contract, okay, look, $2 million is tied to playing 50% of snaps. He'll probably get there. Right. You know, he's played 50% plus of snaps his entire career. People might see the sack incentive and say, oh, it's Chris Jones. Ten sacks for him. That's easy. Fifteen sacks for him. He had 15 and a half last year. The guy's played seven years and he's gone over 10 sacks twice, uh, including last season. It's not a given by any means. And then you have a first team all pro and Super Bowl appearance. He has one first team all pro last year. And you have $2 million for Defensive Player of the Year and a Super Bowl win. He's never been Defensive Player of the Year. And yeah, the Chiefs are awesome, but winning the Super Bowl is not easy. So, you know, it's very possible he loses money. I think if you play the snaps, he'll probably get up to about $20.4 $20. $20. million.
0: Um,
1: a colossal failure, I don't want to rant here, I provision in this contract. So... The odds are we're going to end up in the exact same situation at the end of this season. They're going to franchise tag him, and we're right back to square one.
0: Yeah, the I think some of those um, incentives that you put in they're none of them are like unattainable. You know, none of them you look at and you say it's impossible. There's no way he's making that. Like because the Chiefs are the Chiefs, <clears throat> even winning the Super Bowl is almost like a fifty-fifty proposition for them. Making it back to the Super Bowl is almost expected at this point, so they're very attainable. The All-Pro thing. He is the best interior lineman in the NFL, pending what happens with Aaron Donald's return. You know, last season he was. But that was also the first year that Aaron Donald wasn't really Aaron Donald. So that's definitely possible. Defensive player of the year, I would say, is reasonably unlikely, simply because there's so many good candidates that it's reasonably unlikely that any one of them makes it. Um, But they're all possible. Like, the the biggest problem to me with this contract is, is he didn't even get a no-tag clause out of it. Like, he didn't even sort of guarantee that he's about to hit the payday at the end of this year because the Chiefs could just tag him. Now, they'd have to tag him in a pretty large number because of the contract, but they can. Like, this is he can't even guarantee that he's going to escape their clutches and, and get the giant contract this time next year. Exactly. That
1: that is the biggest failure here. And look, Kansas City drew a hard line and clearly was not going to give in. And actually the funny thing here is, it's a massive number regardless, but his franchise tag number or, under the original contract for next year would have been about $34 million if they tagged him. He doesn't use the league-wide number. His cap hit already is larger than the interior defender or, you know, defensive tackle franchise tag. So we're not looking at that here. It's a different number. Now it would be 32 million. So look, still a huge number, but it's actually a lower franchise tag as a result of his holdout and, and the reworking of this contract than it would have been. Yes, these incentives would carry forward if he gets tagged. You keep those incentives in the deal and and they apply again, but as we just talked about, they're not very easy to attain. So, yeah, th- th- there's no way to look at this besides, you know, him and his representation took a gamble, tried to strong-arm the Kansas City Chiefs and and it completely flopped.
0: Are we in a world now where if an NFL team wants to play hardball with a negotiation, they win? Like every every step in the road now, Chris Jones um the 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 running back Saquon Barkley like got nothing effectively. He got like a nine hundred thousand raise and he had to show up to training camp. Josh Jacobs at least got out of training camp but basically had to show up for no more money. Um, as you say, Zach Martin's the only one that's worked, but Dallas is kind of the team that would be like, oh we want to take care of Zach. Like we're you know, he's one of our guys. We want to pay him and it was just a case of getting around to that. But if Dallas had just drawn a line in the sand and said no not going to happen. You're under contract. You made the deal, show up to work. I mean, eventually the numbers would have gotten so high that Zach Martin had to come back, right? Or retired. Like those would have been his options.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, they could have gotten to that point. You know, he didn't get an extension or anything. I'm sure he would have liked, you know, future years and and more assurances and security, not just in this year. He did do pretty well, but but it obviously could have gone better. So, yeah, I mean, to a degree, the team always can win that battle. I think you need to be a pivotal player in a locker room and a guy that other players are genuinely going to be frustrated with, um, you know, about you not being there and not getting rewarded. But, I mean, Saquon Barkley is that guy. He's the face of the franchise in New York. The team wasn't going to protest and not play their games if he didn't show up. Uh, The Giants found a way to do it. So look, players have to use all the leverage they have at their disposal. They have to try to accomplish what they can. In particular, I think guys trying to get a second contract, not a third deal like a Chris Jones, like a Zach Martin. But the last piece here is you see these shorter, shorter deals coming across the NFL, and you're saying, you know, well, maybe a player should want five years. No. Why is Mike Evans entering a contract year and, you know, for all we know, doesn't get a big payday because he signed a five-year extension. Zach Martin signed a six-year extension. Like, that is why you're seeing players now sign three- and four-year deals because teams are going to draw, you know, draw a hard line when you're 29, 30 years old trying to get another contract.
0: Um, You said that, you know, the new CBA, the new language made it easier for this to happen, the sort of toughening of fines, all that kind of thing. Uh, What did so, you know, I made this point before that I think the NFLPA is just in a tough spot when it comes to negotiating CBAs because they have a much broader range of interests that they have to try and look out for. Right. Generally speaking, the owner's are more or less on the same page and there's fewer of them so it's easier to like hear the things we're negotiating for whereas over here you've got like a million different interests all oftentimes conflicting so you're just behind the eight ball you're going to lose because you can't get everything you want and some guys are going to get screwed and you end up looking terrible so with that said this can't have been surprising to the nflpa like they knew they were giving this up what did they get in exchange in that negotiation uh, you tell me
1: uh, they got <laughs> marijuana is less of a punishment. So we whipp- get that, that's fantastic. Only one testing date now for Like seriously, like I they got nothing. They they got completely taken to the woodshed in, in that negotiation. I mean, no, look, minimum cap spending is now 90% instead of 89%. And that 1% does matter. Like there are little wins here and there. Sure. But um, no, they, they did not do a good job. And it, it, like you said, it is impossible. I'm not saying, you know, Demoree Smith, you know, could not have done better. Somebody else could have done better. It's a hard job and a hard thing to do because as you mentioned, so the number one thing we always talk about, they should abolish the franchise tag. Look, you know, I agree. I get it. I understand the argument. 60% of the NFL, what players, why would they care about a franchise right. tag when they are making $600,000? You know, it's just not a priority for them. So it's very tough to get the bargaining unit to all care about certain things.
0: Yeah, I I do feel like they're just going to get hosed every time the negotiation comes up because there's no way, they're just in a harder bargaining position. They're trying to represent too many different interests. Um, That is pretty rough. Um, We're going to go to our next couple of things. We've got a question of the week from the Discord, which is new, and there should be a working link to the Discord now, apparently uh apparently when you set up the invite link it lasts for seven days or something and then expires unless you find the way of setting it so that it's permanent which we've now done so there should be a permanent working link to the discord in the description of this show every week we're going to be asking the discord for questions or topics the best one we will uh talk about and and answer live on the show Um, So we got one of those or if you want to hit us up in the mailbag NFL podcast at pff.com. But before we get to that football is back in full swing with another week of epic games and who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL Week 2 action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code PFF to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home $200 instantly in bonus bets. Bets. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code PFF. The crown is yours. Now, let's give a shot at the Steve Palazzolo uh, terms and conditions thing. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. Uh, in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888 789 7777 or ccpg.org please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort KS whatever that is 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario see slash football for terms uh, for eligibility terms and resp- ah, terms and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Whoo! All right, Brad. The uh the Discord question of the week. This is perfect for you because it's a bears-related question. Uh, this one's actually sent in for consultant GM Steve. Unfortunately, consultant GM Steve is on the road right now, so he's unable to show up with his uh his background and his GM podium and all that kind of thing. So this one came in from NothingMan55 on the Discord. Things went very badly for Justin Fields and the Bears' offense in general on Sunday. Based on Sunday and the second half of last season, is it already time for the Bears to look to move on from Fields or is this an overreaction?
1: It's such a frustrating question
0: uh because still and I'm
1: not making excuses you know when I say a lot of these things he still you know was under pressure the second most of any quarterback in the NFL behind only Daniel Jones the Packers do have a good front seven uh but still it's not the Dallas Cowboys you know unit that that Jones faced Um, but nevertheless, uh, I mean, for his average time to throw was still super high. His average depth of target was way low, even though he was holding on to the ball very long. You've seen breakdowns from JTO Sullivan at the QB school, Mm. um, other people, you know, that do this for a living of him, not, you know, getting the ball out when it's like simple concepts like mesh or, you know, DJ Moore coming open on a, on a simple crosser, like very fundamental throws he should be making are not being made so yeah, as bad as the surrounding circumstances are, <clears throat> excuse me. As bad as I think Luke Getz's game plan was, which was a bunch of straight dropbacks which had route trees that I that that, that, that no one was getting open on or even really trying to get open on, uh th- their red zone play calling was I- illogical at best. All that said, they have two first round picks next year, I think for a reason. Um Look, even even the Eagles had two first-round picks going into last year with Jalen Hurts. They didn't know for sure what they were going to do. They made sure they had a backup plan. I'm not quitting on Justin Fields just yet, but it's possible that is the the route we go by the end of this season.
0: Yeah, they've done a good job of building in that contingency. Like I I think that would be a smart thing for every NFL team to do. If you have a quarterback you are not 100% sure of as being the guy, the future— you should be stockpiling future first-round picks because if it goes to hell, you have to use those picks to go find the next guy because it might not go to hell enough for you to be picking number one overall or number two overall you know, and have your shot at that guy. So Chicago building in that future contingency is exactly like the Eagles doing it with Jalen Hurts, which I think people kind of forget about because Hurts worked out. They specifically uh, built in a backup plan. They were like, Hertz might be the guy, maybe, probably is, but let's let's get a future first-rounder so that we have two, just in case he isn't, because if he isn't, we're going to need to go get the next guy, and we can't, you know, do it by blowing up the whole franchise, winning two games, and get, picking number one that way. So, Chicago doing that, I think, is smart. What I would, what's very frustrating, I think, is, you know, last year, obviously, the picture was very muddy because... They stripped everything back. They sold off every useful player they had. And it was like, good luck, Justin Fields. Like, you've got nothing to work with. Have fun. And for him to show anything last year, I think, was impressive. Like, he won the starting job simply by showing any form of viability with no help whatsoever around him. So this year, you you get him some weapons, you get him some help, and you try and see what he can do with, with a viable quarterback situation. It would be so much easier if we weren't coming out of those games going, what the hell is this offense? Like, if we just had a clean picture and we could 100% put all the failings on Justin Fields and say, look, this is all his fault. Like, the thing is working, the offensive line is okay, the scheme is there, it's drawing up plays, you know, scheming guys open left, right, and center, and Fields is failing. But what we've got now is, is a similar muddy picture, which is Fields is definitely making some mistakes, he's definitely not doing what they need him to do in that offense. On the other hand, what the hell are some of these plays? Like, that shouldn't exist in this, you know, discussion, this analysis. No, 100%, because the personnel stuff, again, the offensive line
1: could be better, but I don't know, I think both young tackles are showing promise already. Obviously, one game for Donnell Wright. Uh, You go out and spend, you know, three years, $30 million on Nate Davis. I mean, he had like a 26 pass block grade for us and allowed nine pressures, so not that he was a positive in week one, but And and then the weapons are legitimately good. Like, you have three good receivers. You have Cole Komet, who's solid, and and some depth. Robert Tunyon did not play in this game. And then you have three good running backs as well. Like You can't really talk about his lack of weapons anymore. But, yeah, I I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to hold up and and to dial things up with an offensive line that's getting killed. But, you know, half-field reads and and rollouts and, and just continuing to do things that kind of make it a simplified game we didn't see it. I mean, Chase Claypool also doesn't really give a shit, so I'm probably not supposed <laughs> to swear on the show. My bad. Uh, but that is the truth. So that doesn't help either. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's It's frustrating because we still can't really get a full analysis. But I, I do think, unlike last year, you, we can't make those excuses for 18 weeks. Like, at a certain point, he might just not be it.
0: The I mean, overall... You know the the approach that they've taken, the new um, Ryan Poles, everything he's done, it it has been it's been a I think a solid sort of rebuild job. You know, stripping all down made sense. The DJ Moore move, I think, was a really good one. I think that's a better approach than drafting Bryce Young number one overall and throwing him into the same situation that Justin Fields was in last year, which essentially were your choices. Um, so moving back sticking with fields, getting DJ Moore and other things, I think is a better option. But the they've made some mistakes along the way. Like we don't like some of the, the players they drafted for certain spots, certainly on defense. But the single biggest goof has got to be that Chase Claypool deal. Like it, you could construct an argument at the time, but the pick ending up being 32 overall is just making that look more and more egregious by the day. Like, it's effectively a first-round pick they flip for a guy who not only is doing nothing, but, as I say, you, you pointed it out, and, you know, Mike Renner, the late Mike Renner, with the video showed him just walking through plays and screwing up almost everything. Now they're talking about potentially, you know, sitting him down, a healthy scratch, all that kind of thing. Like, when you look at who they could have had with 32 overall, it's a lot of good players.
1: A lot of good players that would you know not be on expiring contracts. Yeah, and, and you heard the quote from Fields yesterday too where he was asked, he very indirectly took a shot at Chase Claypool. They asked him you know, about Equinemius St. Brown not being active for the game. He said, yeah, he's a phenomenal blocker on the perimeter. I feel like that was one of the biggest things we were missing in this game was blocking on the perimeter because I mean, there's screen passes where if Chase Claypool actually did make a block on one of them, Darnold Moody probably could have broken off an explosive play, but instead... Claypool literally fell into Mooney because he wasn't even trying. So, you know, again, like there's so much going on here and it's frustrating. I know this is a Justin Fields segment as well and you're talking about some of the players they drafted. Uh, The defense also just makes no sense. Uh, Ignoring the fact the defensive line is is the worst unit in the NFL still. You take like physical press man corners like a Tyreek Stevenson and they just sit in soft and off coverage the entire game against a rookie quarterback who does not have Christian Watson. Like I don't know. The coaching staff in Week One was as bad as they possibly could have been.
0: Yeah, rookie in terms of playing experience, not in terms of uh, yeah. NFL experience, obviously. Um, if if so, if they are at some point determining that Justin Fields is not the answer um, and wanting to move on from him, that's the kind of thing that only happens at the end of the season, right? There's no scenario by which they start to look on. From any in any term practical sense, within the season, right? Because they can't really trade him away because they don't really have any alternatives. Nathan Peterman is the backup. I guess you could construct an argument that Tyson Bajan played really well in preseason and maybe you want to give him a look. But that's the kind of thing that probably only happens in like week sixteen when the whole season has already gone to hell. And if the Bajan thing doesn't work, it only lasts for a couple of weeks. You can't really do that in like week six. And then decide. Actually, no, he stinks as well. Now we got to go back to fields, and the whole thing is a mess, right?
1: No, I think they are going to just let him ride it out, and they should. You know, they definitely should. I mean, to a degree, uh, also his scrambling, you know, was kind of the the biggest part of the offense they had. Yeah. And- it was credit. He actually was pretty good in the first half. He was getting the ball out quicker. Yes, it wasn't often down the field, but he did, I think, look you know, more comfortable, and I've nitpicked him a ton on his accuracy or his ball placement not leading to yards after the catch. I thought that was good in the first half of this game as well. Things really got ugly in the second half once they were down and kind of pressing. So there actually were some positives I took away from his film. It has to be his team this season. And to their credit, look, I, I did like Bryce Young a lot coming out, but Maybe they had an eye on this quarterback class coming out. Now, yeah. if you're watching college football these past weeks, there's eight guys that I think are, you know, top 50 pick caliber players. Um, it, it could line up pretty well.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we talked about that earlier in the week with Trev. It does sound like it's going to be, you know, a pretty spectacular looking um, quarterback class this year. Also, I, I think we're seeing in Carolina already after a week like the lack of help around Bryce Young was a problem right like that maybe it would have been a longer term thing if you were drafting Bryce Young but Bryce Young would not be fixing the ills in Chicago right now for the same reasons Justin Fields isn't right it's if you don't have a viable level of help around the guy it's not going to matter and Fields whatever about DJ Moore coming in and and helping the receiving core, the offensive line was still getting wrecked and as long as that's the issue um, like he's not going to have success
1: we look back and forth in this conversation that I think will happen in perpetuity in NFL spaces of, you know, do you build up the roster and then drop the quarterback in or do you get the guy just because you have the early pick and then try to build around him? Chicago might want to try the, the the second option, right? I mean, obviously Green Bay, you know, does that and has these succession plans. And we're about to have, you know, a third straight quarterback over a stretch of 50 years. That's going to beat us 80% of the time he plays <laughs> against us. So, um, you know, like I, I do think to a degree it, it probably would make some sense. I mean, poor fields just never really had a chance. Uh, and Bryce Young, yes, look. Their receiving core is is significantly worse than than Chicago's. Obviously, when you send DJ Moore to Chicago in that trade, and now Brady Christensen, a solid left guard, is out for the year. They're already down Austin Corbett. They're starting right guard. They have a rookie Chandler Zavala playing there, who's a pretty good player, but but nevertheless, like yeah, I think it's going to be ugly for him. I mean, DJ Chark is hurt. He's probably the number one receiver. Yeah, um, it's yeah. You see both sides of it. There's obviously the counter argument of Trey Lance basically was so bad that the the Niners were too good. To give him time to grow, right? I, I don't think that's an issue. Chicago is going to be in, you know, any time in the near future.
0: Well, I think it's it's a difficult balance, right? Because in order to, if you're picking in the top three, you're probably not a good enough team that the quarterback can survive or that he can make a difference. But if you build up the team so that the quarterback can actually have success right away, you're too good to pick to get him. You're you're too good to get the pick to get him in the first place, right? So the only like. Almost the strategy you need to employ is that one that Philadelphia has, which is let's make sure we have two first-round draft picks, so that if we have a good enough team and need a needed quarterback, we can then package the draft picks and go get the guy in the first place, or you know try and mortgage the future and make a giant move up like San Francisco did, um, albeit not working out. Like it's a very difficult balance because I, I wrote an article um, essentially just looking at the debut of those three first-round guys, right, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Anthony Richardson, and the story for all of them was basically the same. It's like all three of them made at least one bad throw that was kind of like rookie mistake, right? You need to sort of learn what NFL defenses can do. Um, Bryce Young threw two ridiculous throws to Jesse Bates, one of which was just a terrible misread, I think, but the second, I can't remember which order they came in, the second one, I think, I think he knew he was there and tried to move him, and Bates just never bit, and he threw it anyway, right? And it's like, okay, you can't just assume that the NFL safety is going to move when you look him off the way he would in college, right? You could assume that in college and be pretty safe. In the NFL, can't do it. Richardson's interception, same kind of thing. Like, the read was okay, and he just, I think, underestimated what an NFL corner can do in terms of sinking into that cover two space and picking it off. It was a little bit underthrown. Interception. Stroud had a one where he got out of pressure, like actually did the thing that he hasn't necessarily done in his career, got out of pressure, rolled the left field, and then threw back across his body to a guy that was open when he threw it, but the ball had enough air under it that like NFL defenses can make that play. College, that's probably a great completion, and we're applauding, you know, oh, look, he's better under pressure. NFL, it's like, dude, you can't make that throw. So all three of them made one at least one of those kind of mistakes, but generally the feeling was they're getting let down by their supporting cast. Bryce Young's offensive line wasn't great and his receivers weren't great. That was problematic. C.J. Stroud, his offensive line wasn't great. He was under pressure 45% of the time, something like that. And then Richardson, his offensive line was pretty good and uh, Michael Pittman made some good plays. But it's like, this is Michael Pittman and nobody else. Like, we need more help for this guy. So I think it's very difficult now for teams to construct that kind of um plan for a new quarterback unless you do either what Philadelphia did or what Green Bay do which is take the guy before you need him and actually try and develop him on the sideline for multiple years but doing that burns their potentially biggest part biggest value add right which is the rookie contract
1: Right, right, exactly. And also, you know, there's no guarantee you build a roster around them that is, you know, going to protect him and get him weapons and all these things. So then maybe you kind of just waste everything. Or that it I mean, works. Yeah, the field interception, I, I mean, I guess just did not see Quay Walker over the middle. Honestly, if Quay Walker didn't pick it off, I think Devondre Campbell or whoever else was there also may have picked it off. It really was just like he didn't see it. But yeah. there, were, there was, again, a lot of good in the tape when he did – Throw downfield, the, the touchdown to Mooney. I think he adjusted the protection at the line, slid the offensive line over to his right, uh, which which was correctly identified where pressure was coming from, and delivered a nice ball. Still, uh, you know, with a with a defender bearing down on him, a perfect touchdown pass. So, like, there was some good you saw there, but it's just it, it's just tough when you can't stack good plays and be consistent. And, and I do think you saw a handcuffed Justin Fields in this game, where like I mentioned. His average time of throw was still super high, but his average at the target was extremely low. And, like, look, if you are going to have Justin Fields be a drop-back guy, you're going to have to take the good with the bat. Like, you're going to go Josh Allen. Have, throw the ball 50 yards on the field 10 times. They might pick off three, but you also might score two touchdowns on those plays and he just really didn't, you know, outside of the Mooney throw, I think he was one of three on throws, uh, you know, 20-plus yards downfield. I'm guessing two, you know, the two incompletions may have just been throwaways because I don't even remember those those snaps.
0: Yeah, I, I think Justin Fields is now putting himself into this category of quarterback that's very difficult to build a game plan around now in a way that it was easier previously. Like, I, I actually liken it a little bit to Cam Newton, right? Cam Newton overall was always an inaccurate quarterback, right? And by that, I mean, not that he can't hit an accurate pass. Like, he's got some spectacular, perfectly accurate throws in his NFL career. But over 600 throws, Cam Newton will be less accurate than most quarterbacks in the NFL or most quarterbacks ever, right? He's just an inaccurate passer on a a large sample size. And the Panthers knew this, which is why they went through this sequence of offenses trying to, like, how do you maximize what Cam Newton does, and they went through a bunch of different ways and iterations. And one of the things they did, which I think was the least successful, was well, let's try and make his throws easier. If he's inaccurate, we'll give him a bunch of shorter throws and run after the catch stuff. And that will mean he'll have a higher completion percentage and he'll be more accurate. That's like, yeah, but it also, it, it does, A, it doesn't, right? Because he's still inaccurate, whether it's throwing at 10 yards or 50 yards. And all you're doing is reducing the. Potency of his overall average throw. So you're making the offense less effective and you're not fixing the fundamental problem, which is he's just generally inaccurate. Um, I think Russell Wilson had a similar issue, which is look, he's not the most efficient quarterback in the world, but he he made up for that at his best by being the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, right? And you can live with some of that inefficiency short because he's going to make up for it by one bomb somewhere in the game. Justin Fields, right now, He's not the most efficient passer in the world, potentially for different reasons than those other guys, but it's the same reality, but he can potentially make up for it with a big throw. The problem is, and this is a Russell Wilson problem at the moment as well, the league has changed since you know Cam Newton's heyday. Now they're taking away those deep bombs. Like That's the first and foremost priority of every defense in the NFL right now. Stop explosive play. Stop the chunk play. So it's making it harder for you to construct an offense around a guy like Justin Fields or Russell Wilson where they're not particularly efficient, short, intermediate, but they they could have made up for it in the past with like those deep bombs because there just aren't as many of those as there used to be.
1: Yeah, and that was the weird part, again, of the game plan. And I understand, look, we're talking about Justin Fields' progression. This What I'm about to say is not going to make him into elite quarterback, but you go out and you sign Mercedes Lewis, you play your fullback Kari Blasen game a lot in this game, and there was, like, no QB power, no QB counter, no just, like, you know, or or just, like, and the Packers' run defense has historically not been good for the last couple of years now. You know, of course, Devontae Wyatt looked great in this game, and, and you know, Kenny Clark is Kenny Clark, and Lucas Van Ness looked pretty good in this game as well, so that unit might get might improve, but, yeah, like, they, they didn't weaponize that really at all, and, and it, was, it was a close game. I know we're about to get into Jordan Love in a second here. It was a close game for the first, I don't know, 40 game minutes, and then it kind of got out of hand after that.
0: Yeah, um, let's do that now. Let's uh, dive into the Jordan Love thing. But first, our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I drink it literally every day. Instead of taking a dozen supplements and pills and all that kind of stuff that you're supposed to be taking, um, one easy drink in the morning for me and I'm set. Grab it before my morning coffee and I'm ready to go for the day with something good in my body. Actually feeding it the nutrition that it needs and craves. I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Covering my nutritional basis for the day couldn't be any easier, which is why I trust AG1. You just mix in one small scoop with water and drink it first thing each morning. Done. If a a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, not vitamin D apparently, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Check it out. Okay. uh, We're going to bring back the Explain the Grade segment this year. Uh, We'll usually do it, I think, on Wednesdays with Steve, but as I say, Steve is traveling, so the whole week this week is messed up. We're going to do it with Brad instead. Um, Send in... Your questions, You generally will anyway. I will get inundated on Twitter with various requests to explain grades that happen each week. And a lot of people were, uh, were asking about um, Jordan Love. So let's roll our little explain the grade transition, then we'll get into it.
1: I'm um, sure PFF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling.
0: All right. So the biggest complaint, I guess, from a lot of people is that coming out of that game in which Jordan Love was dramatically more productive... Than Justin Fields, they had broadly similar grades. Now, at the time, I think just uh, Justin Fields was 0.1 grading points ahead of Jordan Love. That has since flipped a little bit. Um, we found a, a, a minus 0.5 negative that has come off Jordan Love, so he has a slightly better grade. Number one, my first point is a 0.1 grading difference in a single game is not one guy grading higher than the other. They're the same grade, effectively, right? And even if that was a five-point grading difference for the same position, it would effectively be the same grade. So that's point number one. Um, But the thing is, so I I went through all of uh, Jordan Love's plays, and there was a lot of rough in there as well, right? Now, one of the things, the most interesting play to talk about that probably had the biggest impact in his grade overall was that leak pass to Luke Musgrave, right? Where he fumbles a snap, uh, picks it up, rolls back the way the league play is supposed to be, and then is like a mile under-throwing Luke Musgrave, who catches it but can't score because the ball is way under-thrown. So really interesting play for a few different reasons because it ends up obviously being a net positive play, right? He's going to get big EPA points because it's a big gain, all that kind of thing. On the other hand, when you drop the snap as a quarterback – You've effectively caused – that's a turnover-worthy play because whether it bounces back into your hands or whether it bounces forward towards the defensive line is not within your control. Anything can happen, right? Now, so he gets a turnover-worthy downgrade for that. He gets a little bit back because he recovered it himself. So we don't count it the same exactly if he's able to recover his own fumble, which he did. So he gets a little bit back there, and then he gets a little bit of a positive for the play to Luke Musgrave But he leaves a much bigger positive on the table by not putting him in, you know, hitting him stride and creating a touchdown. So he ends up with a net slight negative play there because it was a turnover-worthy play. He gets a bit back for the recovery and a bit back for the throw. But when you look at what could have been on that play, is it should have been a routine, easy, guaranteed touchdown. So that's a big play that affects his grade. The other thing in his tape I saw was there were at least two dangerous misses. Um, there was what looked like a misread on a slant. I forget who it was targeting, maybe Romeo Dobbs. But he, I think, red man coverage across the board, and it wasn't. The slot, the inside route, the slot guy didn't go with his receiver and instead jumped out towards the slant that uh, Jordan Love was targeting And I think only because it was inaccurate enough to miss his receiver, it actually went so far inside the slot guy that he basically overran it. But that could easily have been picked off. And then the other one is he missed Romeo Dobbs on a dig route. And the miss itself wasn't egregious in terms of it wasn't far off. But what made it dangerous was if Romeo Dobbs hadn't stuck his hand out and been able to deflect it away, it was heading right to the safety like would have been hit him perfectly in the head had the say had the ball got past Romeo Dobbs so that was that kind of weird category we doesn't actually get a turnover worthy play for it because it was so close but that's a dangerous miss like you if that's six inches further away or Dobbs just doesn't stick his hand out because he knows he's not going to catch it that's picked off and that's you know an egregiously bad play so Look, I was overall quite impressed by Jordan Love. I thought he operated the offense well. I thought there was a lot of good in there as well. But those are the kind of hidden negative plays that will drag his grade down and keep him in the same kind of category as Justin Fields.
1: Yeah, I know the big gripe was that Fields was above him, like you said, by .1. I would say, first of all, his passing grade was 10 points higher. We're not going to not give yep. Fields a great rushing grade. He had four missed tackles for us more than any other quarterback in Week 1, probably top five among all players. And his yards, his rushing yards after contact were more than his – Uh, you know, uh, rushing yards because he was getting hit in the backfield, spitting out of tackles, and still turning nothing into something. So that's obviously the high level. Look, there was a point in this game where Jordan Love was like 7 of 17 with a couple missed throws, like you said, you know, did have some injuries. And then also the last piece, he literally was the least pressured quarterback in the NFL on Sunday. Um, You know, the fourth fourth down touched on Aaron Jones. You and I could have thrown. He he had 15 (laughs) yards of separation against T.J. Edwards. I'm not, not, not trying to take away from his performance, but look, we can freely admit, Sam and I message on Mondays, hey, I don't really get this grade. Let's go through the number. Let's let's look at the tape. Let's look at the video. Do we disagree? Do we want to nitpick? Our graders are exceptional. They're phenomenal. They do incredible work. But, you know, sometimes we say, oh, should this minus one be a minus a half? Like, we had those conversations on a weekly basis. I'm not saying I'm a Bears fan. and everyone's going to say that. Love was not that good in this game. He was on schedule. He, he was, you know, smart. There also was a great quote from Matt LaFleur that he audibled zero times in this game. He literally did not have to change a play a single time. Uh, And not that he should. The Bears didn't blitz at all. And like I said, they just sat back in soft zone. So yeah, he was good. Look, he was 8 of 10 for 140 yards and two touchdowns on third and fourth downs. Um, He had a couple like third and eight, third and 10, third and 13 conversions. Like he was definitely
0: good, but this grade was was correct in my opinion. Yeah, two points that you're going to hear I mean, certainly one point that you're going to hear us make a lot, and then a second point I want to make as well. Um, people seem to really struggle with this concept, and so many people seem to struggle with it that I I'm sort of coming around to the idea that it's just a, it's just a non not an intuitive thing to process, rather than like people are stupid, right? But the like the absence of a positive is not a negative necessarily, right? So you made the point, right? The Aaron Jones being wide open and a routine pass that you or I can hit. It's not like he gets negative. Like we don't give him a negative grade for that play. We're not saying oh that that we're going to penalize him because that was easy. That's not the way that works. It just means that on that play he doesn't get like a massive positive because it was easy, right? That's a relevant thing. The whole grading scale is based off expectation, and it's not the expectation of of like a random you know overweight guy in his forties. It's an expectation relative to NFL quarterbacks, right? So the expectation is that any NFL quarterback that is getting snaps is capable of completing a screen pass, right? It's just, that seems like a reasonable bar to set. So if you don't, obviously you're going to get a negative, but if you do, you don't get a big positive just because the running back takes it 60 yards and a touchdown, right? It's the same play. You just completed your screen pass, at which point your part in the play is over and anything that happens after that is somebody else's credit. So that's one thing. Like you have to look at where the production comes from and how much of that was actually the quarterback doing it versus just the easy stuff that ended up becoming big plays. And then the other element is, you know, the the difference in production was significant. Green Bay was seventh, I think, in EPA per play. Chicago was 20th. The, the yardage speaks for itself, all those kinds of things. But the point you bring up, like Jordan Love, his offensive line surrendered two pressures in the game, right? That... That's about as easy as it's going to get in terms of, like, platform to work from. Conversely, as you mentioned earlier, Justin Fields was the second most pressured quarterback in the NFL and pressured at a rate, like, higher than any team was pressured last season. You know what I mean? So, an unsustainably high rate of pressure, some of which was definitely on him, right? It's not... But his offensive line also got its ass kicked throughout the game. And when you listen to Bears coaches, they were saying, look, we were calling a game plan because we knew our offensive line couldn't hold up. So... These are relevant pieces of information when it comes to how good was the quarterback. It's like, well, how good was the situation? Because that changes those expectations we talked about before, right? Jordan Love's expectations become higher because his situation was a lot better. Justin Fields become lower because his situation was worse. And when you sort of add all that together, they end up in a broadly similar range in overall terms with Jordan Love being the higher PFF grade. So I agree with you. I think... You know, there are definitely times where we run through the grades, and you don't agree with it, and you make your arguments to the graders, and you either get a grade change or they tell you to go. You know, get get stuffed. This was not one of those occasions. I went through the grades. I found that one zero point five. There was a play. Um, uh, there was a play. I think into the end zone, but his receiver fell over, right? And the the grader had determined, even though the guy was tripped, it was still a miss. It was still too far away. My argument was. I couldn't tell that conclusively from multiple angles. Now, the third angle, if someone had argued it, I probably wouldn't have fought too hard. But I think based off two out of the three angles, you couldn't be sure. I think it was a harsh downgrade. They agreed. They took it off. So his grade jumped up a few points. But the other things I think are fine. Like, those were two dangerous misses. The Musgrave play, I think, is is a reasonable net, the way it worked. Um, and that's where he, he floats out. So just because that was his grade in the game doesn't mean you can't also be impressed by what he did.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And again, like just because you're making plays in structure or your first read is open all the time, we're not saying it's a bad thing. It's again, like you said, but it's compared to an NFL quarterback expectation. Um and the last piece I would mention, we don't have this publicly posted anywhere or anything. I mean, this is anecdotal, but I watched Miami, I watched San Francisco. I obviously watched this game three times already cuz I'm, you know, a masochist. <laughs> like Matt LaFleur was as good as a, a play caller as any coach in the NFL this week, uh, they, they were awesome. And what they were dialing up for him, there was just one play that always stuck out to me was when love kind of rolled to the left, had the entire defense shuffle that way and then threw it back to his right. Uh, and and they, you know, I forget who the receiver even was, but had like three blockers in space in front of him. There was so much good there and, and so many just, you know, great play designs. It was just, again, like, it's not, we're not saying this is bad for Jordan Love, but uh, he had phenomenal conditions, he took advantage of them, so that's great. Uh, but he didn't set the world on fire individually.
0: No, agreed. So that's our explain the great segment this week for Jordan Love. As I say, people are going to have questions every week. Send them in either NFL podcast at PFF.com or join the Discord, the correct working link to which should be in the show description here, or I believe it's the pinned tweet to the uh, PFF NFL podcast channel. Brad, it's been a pleasure, good sir. I will see you again tomorrow, and we will also, I will be talking to uh, medical expert, our medical uh, expert, our injury expert, uh, Vic Troja, who, as I said earlier, I think on the the previous show, within seconds of Rodgers going down, was texting me, telling me he thought that was an Achilles which is exactly what it proved to be. So Vic was uh, good when we had him on in preseason, and we're going to dive into some injury news tomorrow as well. Hopefully you've enjoyed listening to the show, and we will see you tomorrow.